Welcome to the show. Paul George here in studio with Adam Conk. Hey, hey. Talking all things art of living. How's it going, man? It's going great because right before the show started, I mean, right before, you just let me have it with something <laughs> that I was not prepared for, and it was beautiful, I got to say. You put me on the spot. I teared up. <laughs> you teared up? Yeah. Really? I mean, inside. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see anything You know, people flowing. say that. Oh, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, how you been? Well, Great. Gotta, you got to share with the audience what you just did. No, you share. I can't. That's the whole point. Well, Only you can do it. What do you want me to do? Do exactly what you did before the show started. Well, so what did you ask me? I asked if you could ever see yourself as a Christian rapper. Right. And then you busted out with... John the Baptist from his side, a Messiah would rise. He'd be tried, crucified, ascend in the sky. Years later in the city of Dave, a miracle of God came on virgin of babe. But kings came from afar. They followed a star. To worship baby Jesus, who was born at a bond, he brings peace on earth. His mercy is mild. <laughs> Birth of a child. That's that's this what is beautiful. I beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that from way back when. Now is this your stuff or was this? No, no, no. Okay. There was a there was an old group like in in the in the late nineties called DC Talk, and they had. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, they had straight rap. Yeah, I don't remember any of their straight rap, but I remember it like it's in my mind. Which goes to prove that uh, if you hear something over and over, it sticks in your mind. And that could be either good or bad. And what's cool about rap music, I got to give it, because I'm not usually a huge fan of it, but what's cool about it is you can fit a lot of content into one little memory. Like You just remembered many more words right. than like, take my breath away. Yeah, so like if you're you know, a young person and you're trying to remember a poem or something for your class, like you could put rhythm to it. Mm -hmm. It's poetry. Beautiful. And it'll help you memorize it better you know sing it i mean it's a lot of times why we remember songs because mm -hmm. we we can sing and, and remember the lyrics much easier if we just like recited it over and over what but anyway man i got some exciting news <gasps> yeah so have you seen this what did you say that is so interesting oh, for real though i'm for real so i'm super excited about this and i, I think our listeners this is, this is unusual okay so uh august 1853, this happened. The potato chip was invented. What? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Many, many, many. 1853, a guy named George Crumb, which is interesting. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not, I'm not joking. George Crumb uh, According to the history books, chip? the potato chip was invented on August 24th, 1853, at Moon's Lake House in Saratoga Springs, New York. It's a New York invention? Yeah. The potato chip. Mr. Crumb? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is this is awesome. So potato chips are like an American staple. Yeah. Right? I mean, French fries. But like I think even more than French fries, potato chips. Yeah, because French fries are French. Right. But potato chips, we have so many flavors. They're kind of a staple. They're in everything. They're not just in restaurants. They're in grocery stores. They're in bags. Mm -hmm. They're all over. So here's the question. What's your favorite potato chip? I mean, that's an easy one for me. Okay. Barbecue. Really? Mm -hmm. Like barbecue ruffles are just, you don't I like... I don't like those ruffles. You don't like barbecue those? Barbecue bake Lay's. I don't want to, you know, promote Lay's potato chips Is a on baked show. Lay, is that actually a potato chip? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Really? It's just baked instead of fried or whatever they do to normal That's what you chips. think. That's what they tell me. That's what they tell you, but you don't really know. What about you? My favorite potato chip... Mm -hmm. Uh gosh. Mm. I'm either like 
Well, you can't say Dorito because I don't think Dorito is actually a potato. Yeah, I think it's corn or something. Yeah, it's corn. So, um, so if I'm not going the Tostito route, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I um, do love me some Tostitos. Yes. So I'm I'm gonna go just straight, plain salty potato chip. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Like the Lay's original. Yeah. Now, now if now you, I'm hungry. Now you're hungry. So anyway, that happened a long time ago. That is exciting. Yeah. And happy anniversary. I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's cool <laughs> to celebrate some things that are really cool yeah. in, in our culture. Yeah. I mean, we need the next Mr. Crumb, I got to say. Like, who's going to invent the next big snack food? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I can tell you, I'm not going to invent any more rap music. I'm way too, way too outdated. I don't know. But I, was, I do remember that. I was I enjoying it, actually. Yes. Yeah. And I don't like rap music, and I was enjoying what you were doing. So that says something. Yeah. No, anyway. So we got a great show, man. I'm excited to be back with you. Yeah, man. I've been all over, traveling. You know, it's been hit and miss. So we're finally back in the studio making... Yeah, you've been a busy bee. Yeah, man. Which is good. Yeah, just... Preaching the gospel. Preaching dude. the gospel, sharing the faith, you know. And it's it's really been interesting, you know, the culture of the church right now, which we'll get into... <sighs> in the church and some really cool things actually in the church. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times we can focus on the negativity when there's so much positive going Mm -hmm. on. So excited about the show. We'll be back in a few minutes. Paul George, Adam Conk. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George, Adam Conk here, talking all things art of living. Speaking of art of living, uh, Adam... As you've been following, you and I have been following, obviously, the readings, uh, the Sunday readings and the daily readings. Because we're Catholic. You know, in in Scripture and in the Mass. Mm -hmm. Over the past, you know, weeks, been going through the Gospel of John, particularly John chapter chapter 6, where it's, it's the whole discourse on the Eucharist. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners, if they've gone to Mass the past few weeks, have noticed some recurring themes. Yes. On Sunday. And if you haven't, or if you're not Catholic, haven't been following the readings, uh, if you're not Catholic, you listen to the show or the podcast. First of all, welcome, because that's cool. Yeah, no. Thanks for that. So one of the cool things that actually we do in our Mass, which you know Protestants call their service or whatever, is mm-hmm. uh, we read Scripture, and we have a reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament and a Gospel. So at every Mass or service, we have you know three, really four readings, and we read a psalm. So we have an Old Testament psalm, a New Testament reading that's n- n- not the gospel, uh, so the epistles or whatever the case may be, and then we have a gospel reading. And then, you know, we have seasons in the church, Advent, Lent, Easter, Christmas, and in those seasons, we particularly follow a series of readings that connect with Lent, Christmas, Easter, Advent, right? Mm-hmm. In ordinary time, which is not those seasons, right? We right. we go through a series of readings, so we follow different cycles. So, in the course of basically three years, uh, in the mass, we will hear the whole 
scripture, the yes. whole Bible. Pretty neat. Read out loud. Read out loud. So mm-hmm. most, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't know if Catholics read the Bible. Well, in three years, we've read it all, and we do that over and over again, So, uh, which is really cool. So if, if you're Catholic, you pay attention, you'll hear the whole Bible in a matter of three years, and then you can read it at home as well. So it, you don't have to just read it at Mass. Yeah, and one of the, the way the Church structures it is we read through the Synoptic Gospels, the first three in a cycle, that three-year cycle, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mm-hmm. And then John we read at uh, Easter and and throughout the year. So the, the issue is with that, this year, it's a Mark year. It's short. It's a short gospel. Yeah. Yeah, Mark is kind of to the point. He is. Um, many credit Mark with like being one of the original sources of, of the gospels that the other gospels kind of pulled some of their content from. And yeah. of course there's, you know, um, other sources that we aren't a hundred percent sure where they sourced from, but, uh, we know they're credible. So anyway, Mark, yeah. like I often tell people, like, if you want to start reading the Bible and you're unfamiliar with it, you never read, like just start reading, read the gospel of Mark. It's short Absolutely. to the point it gets, get, it's beautiful. You know, uh, the imagery is great. Yeah, some of us have typed long papers or even books like you. Right. Typed it. Yeah. We can't appreciate writing by yeah. hand on a scroll. Right. Not with a bick, but like a feather. <laughs> right. That you pull off a porcupine. Yeah. So Mark kept his words brief. Yeah, Mark is like a blog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Matthew is like a book, you know. Yeah. And... and you know, I tell people when they say, you know, I want to blog, I'm like, keep your blog short. Like, mm-hmm. people want to read sort of, like, great content to the point, and the Gospel of Mark is sort of this great blog of the Gospel, yeah. you know? Well, because it's so short, it won't make it 34 weeks, which is the length of time it needs. So exactly. the church says, well, look, let's take a good month and plug in probably the central aspect of our faith, John chapter 6. That's a great point. Boom. So and we end Mark, we and then all of a sudden we pick up in, you know, the Gospel of John, which is really set apart from the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew, mm-hmm. Mark, and Luke, which you talked about, uh, which is a great discussion. I feel like I'm, I'm back in my theology yes, classes. Yes, like, but whoa. This is this good. Is great. <laughs> uh, so all that being said, we land in John 6, which is a great discourse. Like, this isn't, this is right in the middle of, of a beautiful Gospel of John, and where Jesus talks specifically about the Eucharist over and over and over again, right? This is my body, you know, this is my blood, you know, it, 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 it's all there. You know, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have life within you. I mean, all these sayings, all these sayings, and uh, it's it's really beautiful. So when you're, when you're going through these gospel readings and you're at Mass, I mean, you're really reminded of what's actually happening at Mass, like what's what's taking place. And you're reminded of, of, of the long history of what's happened uh, since, you know, not only the Last Supper, but for Catholics, we trace back the Last Supper all the way through the Old Testament, the Passover, right? So the Eucharist goes all the way back in history, mm-hmm. right? And through the New Covenant, through Christ, I mean, he certainly establishes the sacrament of the Eucharist, his body and blood. But but the the tradition of the Supper goes way back into the Jewish roots of the Church. Yeah, and... It's interesting, you know, the, the people of the Old Testament, at the time of Moses, for example, they didn't really have a concept of the resurrection of the body or, like, you know, this coming kingdom. Like, we, ha- we take some things for granted as Christians, but mm-hmm. we all know Jesus is coming back, and we're all going to live this perfect, wonderful life in heaven with him, or not, right. right? Like, we all know this, right? Well, 
they didn't really have that concept. So for them, faith was as much hanging on to what God has already done. Yes. In fact, even more so than it was looking forward to what God's going to do. Mm-hmm. And what's beautiful about the Eucharist in John 6, like you said, it's, it, you're reminded that there are elements of the, of the Jewish history, but like Christ inserts himself as, as a fulfillment of everything they've been hanging on to. Yeah. And he's pointing to something still to come. So in other words, I'm the fulfillment of all these things, but I'm also going to bring about an ultimate fulfillment, eternal life, through my work. And so it's just really this like bombshell. Yeah. And that's why he loses so many disciples that day. No, absolutely. And I, I think this is what separates us from our, our Jewish brothers and sisters is they're still holding on to the coming of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And what we believe as Christians is that Messiah came, right, and established a new way of living, a new life and a new covenant. Um, and, you know, I think for Christians, like you're right, we take it for granted. It's like, it's like knowing the answer to the algebra problem. Yep. So you don't work the algorithm. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. <laughs> so, Jesus. So we know the answer. <laughs> but when you when you not when you don't learn how to work the algorithm, the whole problem, like you don't know the steps, you take so many things for granted, you just get mm-hmm. the answer and you kind of run with it. And you know, and you just want to make an A on the test. And the reality is is it's important for us as Christians to have the whole the whole, you know, problem. You know, mm-hmm. the whole steps. And then when we can look back on the whole history, it then begins to all make sense. And the, and we appreciate the answer much better of how we got to the answer. So I think oftentimes, like, when, when we come to these Scripture readings, we take them for granted. We mm-hmm. don't think about them. We don't pray with them. We skip over them. But this one in particular, Adam, yeah, you, you just can't, yeah. right? I mean, you can't get to John 6... And just be like, this This is just, no, this means nothing to us. I think that's so well said, and it reminds me of, uh, speaking of Old Testament, remember when Moses puts the law before the people and he says, all right, this is it. You choose to follow it, and you choose life, or you choose to not, Right. and you'll choose death. Yep. But don't be on the fence, just choose. Right. This is Jesus' mo- moment as Moses, I mean, he had several Moses moments, but this is one where it's like, look, here it is. Yes. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, have life with me forever, mm-hmm. or don't, and right. you won't. Yep. But choose, and he let people make a choice. He did, and he still lets people make choices. Yeah. And that's the thing about us as humans: we have freedom. We have freedom to do whatever we want, honestly. But the great thing about Jesus and the love of God is, Jesus doesn't give us freedom to do something. He gives us freedom from things. Mm-hmm. We've always had freedom, but through Jesus, we have freedom from. And uh, but here's the, here's the reality: is Jesus taught a lot of things that made people walk away. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, like people are like, "Well, it was the Eucharist that made people walk away." Yeah, and marriage, and, and marriage, and, and adultery, adultery, and uh, money. Uh, and you know, loving and mm-hmm. sacrificing, pray for your and enemies. fasting, like everything mm-hmm. that Jesus taught, made people walk away <laughs> because it was too hard, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're no different today. When we read the Gospels, or we really lean into Jesus, there are a lot of things that make us feel uncomfortable. But back to to the point, Jesus gives us freedom from like when we really hold on to Jesus' truth and his teaching, we have true freedom. 
freedom from our old way of living, which we talk about, into a new way of life. And this is what Jesus came to establish through the new covenant, is a new way of living. And he certainly not only taught this, but he gave us the sacraments, his presence and his grace to sustain us in this new way of living. And I love that you put it that way, because I don't think we think of the sacraments often as the presence of God among us. But this is why they're given. It's their beauty and also their purpose, is that Christ is present to us in the sacraments in a very particular and powerful way. That as Catholics, we know, but um, when it comes to the Eucharist, it's really hard because the it's like, it's like the transfiguration is contained in a little wafer. In other right. words, like all the glory and majesty of God, you can imagine the, the saints and angels all worshiping him forever. Like it's all contained in a little wafer. Hmm. And so it's hidden. Yes. And that's one of the issues with the Eucharist, but it's also its beauty, is that it's a hidden presence of Christ that we can come to discover over time. It's yeah, beautiful. and we, 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 you know, I've often heard it say it's, it's, it's a veiled presence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so... It, from a theological standpoint, if if God was fully present, uh, we would probably we'd literally die. We yeah. would die. We would spontaneously combust. We'd turn to ash. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. you can trace this back into the Old Testament I mean, mm-hmm. when Moses climbed Mount Sinai, right? And God would constantly be hidden. But for for a time, it, it says that Moses was able to enter in God's presence, right? The mm-hmm. glory of God settled on Mount Sinai. And it says he, he couldn't move. He just stayed there for 40 days. When he came down the mountain, his face was shown. It says it was glowing like like they couldn't recognize him. But there was literally like almost like a, a horrific sunburn, I guess you could say. <laughs> and like, you know, it was like people were like, whoa, what happened? You know, and for a moment, Moses was able to experience what, what you can say is a slightly unveiled presence of God, you know, mm-hmm. his true presence. If if we were to, if, if the Eucharist wasn't a veiled presence, we would just, we, we would be in a constant state of, of uh, we wouldn't be able to move. We, it no. would be heaven, basically. Yeah. Not it, basically reality. And it will be, and that's yeah. why it's yeah. a foretaste of that thing. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when people talk to me and, you know, they say, you know, the, the Eucharist is, is hard for me to believe in, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it, it, it's a stumbling block. You know, like it was for for people all the way back in scripture. There, there's a few things that come to mind to me. Is one is is that the only stumbling block, mm. right? Because it's hard, yeah, to believe. But okay, so Jesus died and rose from the grave, and as a Christian, you're cool with that? Yeah, like like that's not a stumbling block. <laughs> like to believe, me, like that's yeah. just as hard to believe. Well, yeah, I mean, even more so, right? Right. <laughs> Right, like like he died, was buried, and rose from the grave, like full body, yep. and and uh, you know all of our Christian brothers and sisters are like, yeah, I believe that. I'm like, man, if you could believe that, you could believe anything, like yeah. anything, yeah, right? Because for me, like as a Christian, that's really hard to believe. So I have to have faith. Yeah, I just have to at the end of the day say I have to f- have faith that God can do that and and did do that, mm-hmm. and that Jesus is who He says He was and is today, and so then if I can believe that, then I have to be able to funnel through all the other teachings of Jesus and say, well, if I can believe that, then I can certainly believe this or have faith in this part, you mm-hmm. know, or trust in this part, even though I don't understand this teaching, I have to have faith or believe that it can happen, right? Absolutely. And I think what often blocks our belief in the Eucharist is we don't really see the why. Like, for example, when he says, 
unless you eat my body and drink my blood, unless you receive the Eucharist, you have no inheritance with me. You have no life within you. Well, why? And we forget that Jesus came to sacrifice his life. That was his whole purpose. He yeah. came to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm-hmm. He came as that lamb among us, that lamb of God that John pointed out, uh, you know, that's him. That's yeah. his identity. Right. Well, in the Old Testament, when there was a sacrifice for sin in the temple, particularly uh, uh, offering of bread and wine, okay, the people, all the people, poured, they partook, is that the word? Mm-hmm. Is that partook? Well, I mean, we, we're Cajun, man. We can use any word. They ate. <laughs> they ate it, ball. They, they had to eat. They had to partake of the bread and wine that was offered for the effect of the sacrifice to be applied to them. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to sacrifice a lamb. It's another thing to have this sacrifice and its effect enter my life. And the Eucharist is where the effect of the salvation of the world and Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for many, is applied to me. Right. It's where the blood is on my lentils, you know, like Passover. Yep. This is why it saves us. Yes. It's it's because I have to encounter this Jesus mm-hmm. as the lamb right. and accept his sacrifice into my life. It, Jesus said it's not enough just to be on my knees in my room and say, Lord, I accept you. That's a great moment. It's a beautiful thing. I accept your sacrifice in my life. But right. that leads us to an altar of a real sacrifice right. where he is given to us to accept. And I think you know a lot of Christians, Catholics even so, don't fully know that at every Mass— we enter into that sacrifice. We mm. we celebrate or we celebrate what what not only Jesus did on Calvary by giving his life, but Jesus did on the Last Supper. Like so we're 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 in union with God on Calvary. And it's what we say that the Christian life and at Mass is the p- passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like it, we're not just celebrating the resurrection. Like Sundays aren't just about Easter and celebrating the resurrection, although they are, but we have to remember the whole algebra problem. Mm-hmm. And so what happens at mass is like we go through the whole algebra problem before we get to the answer. Yeah. So like that's what we do. So it, instead of like a lot of times like I just want to celebrate the answer, we do that, right? Uh, we sing the alleluia at mass and we celebrate the resurrection, but the, we're taken through the algorithm, we're understanding our whole history as Christians. We experience the sacrifice and then we get to partake in the resurrection. Of the Eucharist. That's beautiful. So this is what this is what amazes me. So anyway, uh, it's a good discussion. We're going to continue this and some other things when we come back. Paul and Adam. It's Paul George Show. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam here in studio. Great to be with you, Adam, today. Great discussion, and thanks everyone who's listening. Dude, you should write that next book on, on the, what the, you just said. Daughter Radio. It was beautiful. And on the podcast. I can't even remember what I just said. I'm going to go back and listen. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so anyway, I was actually in a, a men's group uh, last week, 
and this topic came up, which is interesting because we're talking about it today, but one of the guys in the group was very vulnerable. It was awesome. He says, you know, um, I, str- my, I struggle in my faith with when it comes to John chapter 6. Mm. You know, and he was just sharing with everybody. I was like, you know, who doesn't, right? Like, like, let's all be honest. Like, when it comes to faith, like, you know, we all struggle at times of saying, do I really believe that, right? Mm-hmm. So he's sharing with this, and, and he, he asked me, you know, in the group, and, you know, I'm just one of many in the group, so I'm like, I'm not the teacher of the group. I'm not leading it. I just like being there and just one of the guys, right? And so he's kind of asking me, like, you know, like, how do you deal with, you know, this? And I said, well, I just kind of, like, go through it in my mind, you know, as even a mass to be present to what's going on, you know, not only through the readings, but when we get to the what we call the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is, you know, the point where, you know, it's like, the, you know, the Last Supper is happening, you know. Uh, I kind of go through in my mind, and, and this is, a, you know, a question I ask myself is this, is uh, when it comes to the consecration of the host, you know, so when Jesus, the Last Supper, consecrates the host and it, to be his body, right, his full presence, I got to ask myself, one question first, you know, is my issue with my faith in the Eucharist or faith in God? Mm. I have to separate those two. Mm. So I have to ask first my question is this, is it possible that God can do this? Yes or no? It's a good question. So if, if I believe God can, then it's possible. But if I believe God can't, then my issue is not with the Eucharist. My issue is with God. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's my, a great distinction. My yeah. issue is I don't have faith that God can do something, mm-hmm. right? So then I have to work that problem out of my mind and say, can God, does he have the ability to to transform this into what he says, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, it's also helpful, that's very helpful to separate those things. And also to separate faith and understanding in our own mind. Right. Because we assume that if we don't understand something, something's wrong. Or it's not, yeah, not true. Or maybe I like faith. Right. But actually, your faith could be very strong, and you're struggling to understand something. And that struggle to understand is not the same as struggle to believe. Yeah, exactly. So then I wrestle with that. And I think it's good to wrestle with things, because it, it makes my faith stronger. It makes me really work on it. And so... I've come to the conclusion that certainly in, in my understanding and in, in my faith and in, in my reading and my study is that God can't. He does have the ability to do miracles and to do, you know, wild things. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those things seems very simple is that he can make that bread his presence. Like God's big enough He's to got do the- that. God can do that. So then the next question I have to ask myself, so if God can, then does he? Mm-hmm. Then does he, right? Mm-hmm. And so then then if I struggle with that, then you know my faith is not lacking in a sense with God, but it's more so in the teaching of the Eucharist. And so does he, does God? And so that's when we talk about as Catholics that it's so important with faith and reason. Well, if I'm, if I'm re- trying to really understand this, I need to research it. I need to study yeah. it. I need to understand it, right? Yeah. Well, and there's a subtle idolatry that can go on in our life if we're not careful. And I say subtle because it's not even necessarily even dangerous. But the cool thing about this life 
is that there is a limit to how much we can know about God. There's a limit to how much we can understand about God. There's a limit to all these things. But what's not limited is our faith, our hope, and our charity in God that can always grow. Right. So the problem, the, the little problem that can arise is that we limit our faith to what we can understand or, or know You're, with certitude. Right. When in actuality, if we let it, our faith can grow beyond our ability to understand, which it needs to. Right. And so a lot of times, if especially with the Eucharist, I've heard like, well, well how does it happen? I don't understand how it happens. I just, then we're not, we lose interest and we lose the journey of faith in that regard. Yes. But when we hit a limit of understanding, in fact, we're just beyond that limit can be a great deepening of faith and a freedom our faith can find from our understanding. Not to say understanding is not important. What I'm saying is, if I limit my faith to my understanding, there's a subtle limit I've placed on God in my life. Right. Or if I limit my faith to my lack of knowledge, Mm -hmm. my lack of reasoning, my lack of study, then I can I can downsize who God is, right? So so the more that I can really unpack the truth of of God, the truth of theology, the the more it it expands my mind, you know. And so oftentimes when I talk to people and they're struggling with their faith in God or their understanding with God, is I tell them to to start researching and reading, like study, because I believe and the church teaches that. Uh, the, the intellectual side will lead you back to understanding mm-hmm. God more. And what, this is what I love about being Catholic Christian is that not only we believe in faith and reason, right, but but we can add science to that. Like we're not afraid to to unpack the things of the unknown. And, and the sci- we believe that science just makes our faith stronger. It makes the possibilities of God greater. It doesn't limit our faith. And a lot of times we want to sort of lock and key those those things because we just want to put God in a box and believe that, well, God's just this way and this small. And when we open the key to those faith, reason, and science all together, it, it can really blow our mind, but it gives us the massive understanding of who God really is, right? Which is, I think, the genius of the Eucharist. Right. Because, I mean, think about this. God from all eternity thought, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to remain present with the church as they journey toward the fulfillment of that kingdom that is to come. So on that whole journey, for at least 2,000 years now, our main experience of the presence of Christ has been the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. It's the most powerful, transformative presence of Christ in our life, the Eucharist, right? For 2,000 years, he chose this for a reason. There's a logic behind the Eucharist. And it's so, sm- God is literally in a box. Think about this. Mm. We meet God in a box <laughs> to discover that we can't keep him in a box. And I think that's why the church says it's the source and summit of the faith is because we meet this limited God, so small, so fragile, so at the mercy of the hands of the priests, and, and we discover a God who is so beyond anything we can imagine, but he's the same God. Right. It's a right. beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And, you know, this sustains us because it's not bread, it's Jesus. Right. And the whole idea is that we're in relationship with God through his son Jesus, right? And not just going to Mass or receiving the Eucharist, but 
in a deepening of our prayer life and entering into the sacraments and really having a relationship with Jesus. And, you know, we've talked to the point of the beauty of the church and scripture, but, you know, we've been going through a time of dysfunction in the church, yeah. you know, and, you know, what they're calling scandals. And, you know, it's horrific as you read the news or things like that. And there's so many beautiful things in the church. But, you know, in my opinion, you know, we have scandals in the church because people have gotten away from Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Just like in in the time of Jesus when people walked away uh, because the teachings were hard. I, I believe that scandals come because people have strayed away because they've stopped living in relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. And where do we see our relationship with Christ manifested the most? In the presence of the Eucharist. Right. If we are just full of it and we're just going with the motions, that's what we do in the presence of the Eucharist. Yeah. If we are in love with the Lord who made us and calls us, that's how we are in the presence of the Eucharist. That's the the beauty of this sacrament is that in his presence, we all become most who we really are and who we really are is made manifest. And some of those beautiful things I've ever seen are footage of saints at at prayer at Mass, like Padre Pio, for example, his last Mass, there's video of it, uh, Mother Teresa, and you can see their holiness because they're with Jesus, and they're most themselves. They're most at peace. And one of the most disgusting things is to look at video footage of some of these people we now know that have very high positions, but yet underneath, like St. Paul would say, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Yeah. And we see them offer Jesus on the altar, or, and it's disgusting. Yeah. Re- religion has become a formality, you know, not a relationship. And they've gotten away from relationship, and this is what happens. We, we can all be warned, all of us. We can all fall into scandal if we fall away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us have the tendency or the propensity to fall into sin, and we're all imperfect, but... Scandal's a, the next level of falling, you know, where, yeah. where you have strayed away from a relationship with Christ. Uh, whether you haven't dealt with issues in your life and, and, and they just snowball, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that come to play, but, you know... Yeah, I mean, scandal is that point where we are willing to sacrifice the good of the church for our own good. Right, right. The Lord doesn't have us decide. When we follow the Lord, what's good for us is good for the church. Yeah. 100% of the time, and we never have to make that distinction. If we find ourselves in a position where we're wondering if I do this, you know, or like we choose our own comfort over the good of the church or there's that temptation, we're, we're a step behind Jesus. Like we need to get back to the Lord. Right. Yeah. Because it's not a real choice if no. we're following Jesus. No, and I think, you know, as we're talking, you know, you know, what are the things that make us a healthy church, you know, that, that bring us you know, to a healthy place. First of all, it's transparency Mm -hmm. is one thing. Like even in my own life, you know, my own marriage, my own relationships with people, it's, it's me opening myself up to accountability and transparency of saying, you know, I I can't journey through this life on my own Mm -hmm. because I know if I do, I'm setting myself up for failure. So transparency paralleled with accountability and community are essential to having a healthy church, a healthy marriage, a healthy family, a healthy life. Like they're, they cross over, 
right? So if you look at like people who have a good, healthy marriage and family, there's total transparency, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's complete and total accountability and there's community and there, there's a healthiness. There's not perfectness. Mm-hmm. We're all imperfect, but there's a healthiness. That translates in the church. There's to be transparency. There has to be accountability and there has to be community. Those three things go together in helping us to continue to follow Jesus and to be who God's calling us to be. And let us as lay people not just assign all the blame to clerics on this in not following Jesus because, you know, we talk, I've heard a lot in the talks of the past couple of weeks that there's not enough accountability for clerics, there's not enough accountability for priests for bishops, maybe right. that's true. It's also true for lay people. Absolutely. There's no built-in system that requires me to be accountable to you at all. I have to choose to let myself be accountable to you. Same thing with clerics. We all have the choice, in today's age at least, in the today's church, we have to choose to be accountable. And when we don't, we failed the church, as lay people and as clerics. No, 100%. You know, so, you know, when I talk about the healthiness of the church, it's also the healthiness of the family. The mm-hmm. two go together. It's our call as lay people to bring our healthy families into the church and make the church healthy. And it's the church's call to be healthy, to help us to be healthy, like we work together. It's our call to help our our priests to be healthy. And it's priest's call to help us to be healthy. Like we're we're in this together, mm-hmm. you know, and but isolation is is a route for the evil one to work. Yep. And when we get isolated, you know, I, I meet with married people all the time, couples, and men, and isolation is the route for the enemy to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, and to destroy your vocation as a priest or a bishop. That type of isolation um, is what we see in the scandal, and mm-hmm. we got to call it what it is. The evil one has gone to work in isolation, in the lack of accountability and community, but we can all be there, you know? Absolutely. And so a lot of times we point the finger, but we're the big fat center in the pew yep. uh, who is not accountable and not transparent. And, you know, so... W- and I think that's why the Lord lays it all on the line f- with the Eucharist, is because here is a concrete, daily expression of our fidelity to Him. Right. Weekly with weekly mass, but also, I mean, if we go, if a day goes by and we haven't thought about Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament, we miss something, right? Because He's here. Hmm. But here's a concrete fidelity we can have to Him and to the Church, because for, don't forget, it's Holy Communion that we receive, a union with each other, with the whole Church. Like we're united to Christ, but also the entire body. It's a sacrament of communion. It's unity of community. Fidelity to this sacrament is an icon of our fidelity to, to him and to the whole church. And I think that's why he lays it all on the line and lets people leave. And then those who stay, he builds the church out of. You know? Right. Right. Communion in union. You know, we're in union with Jesus and each other. So mm-hmm. I don't know if people often realize, like, at Mass, we basically do a public confession of our sins, mm-hmm. you know, through my fault, through my fault. Through my most grievous fault, like we're saying, like we're all sinners, we're all in this together, we repent, we're community, and we're getting rid of our junk, and we're going to lay it on the altar. Jesus is going to sacrifice 
um, he's, he died for our sins, and he's going to now nourish us, and we're going to be in union with Jesus, yep. right? And it gives me so much hope in times like this where, look, there's always been sin in the church. One of the 12 apostles like, gave Jesus away from murder, but every other one of them except John fled that night, right? right? Like, so, but they all came back. They came back. Peter came back. What I'm saying is like, there's, there's been right. sin... Sin's part of our heritage as a church. Yeah. Sometimes it's louder than other times. Right now yeah. it's very loud. And sometimes it's more dysfunctional. Yeah, sometimes it's worse, okay. But that's part of our heritage, and we inherit it, and we own it. But we don't need the church to be functional in every aspect to follow Jesus. And I think that's why in, you know, in Sunday's Gospel reading, it ends with Peter saying, Lord, where else will we go? Right. He says, are you going to leave? He says, well, where else will we go? We've, we've come to know that you have the words of eternal life. If we're humble like that as a church to say, we don't have any of the answers, but Jesus, Jesus is our only answer. His words are what we follow. Then we're in the right sp- spot. Yeah. The problem is we get so proud and arrogant of ourselves that we mm-hmm. can solve everything. That's what gets us in trouble. Yeah. And if I could be really honest and transparent, I think there are many times in my life where I'm struggling you know, and I'm worried, I'm fearful, and I'm human. And I think to myself, where else can I go? Mm. Like, I know that the world doesn't have the answer to my greatest needs. Like, I've experienced the shortcomings of what sin can offer me and what things can do to fulfill me. And I, then what do I have? Like, I find myself surrendered on my knees in mass or in adoration or in prayer in my room saying to myself, where else can I go to find everlasting life? And that should be the starting point of our prayer, of our relationship with Jesus, is at that point of brokenness, at our point of surrender, at our point of like, Lord, I don't have the answers, but you do. I don't know the answers, but you do. I can't fulfill myself, but you can. I can't nourish myself, but you will. That's the place that we need to be in our life in that place of humility of saying, God, where else can I go? And in this time of crisis, what you just described is something that I think we miss as a church, or we're missing, I don't hear it talked about enough, the witness of the victims. Because most of the victims that have shared, that first of all, cared enough about the church to come forward, Hmm. this is the reality they've lived through. They're yeah. still faithful to the church, mm. and they've been greatly hurt by the church. Mm. And so their journey is one of, Lord, where else will I go? Because mm. everything about culture will tell them to run away from the church because the church raped them or hurt them or covered up to make it possible for others. Like the church greatly mistreated this person, but yet, Lord, where else will I go? Mm. The martyrdom of these victims is a powerful witness mm. that we just gloss over a lot, but it's inspiring to me. Yeah. And for those who have been hurt so bad that they have left, you know, that the church would repent and, 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 you know, that, that somehow that, that those, those victims would find peace and hope in Christ, you know, because we're all broken, you know, and we're all at a place, you know, of, of needing Jesus in our life, you know, well, that's why the Lord says, uh, even about Judas, right? He says, uh, I'm sorry, about um, the Jews. Um, 
that Judas had the greater sin because he handed him over, you know? Right. And um, the greater sin is with those bishops who covered up this sin and made it possible by far, you know? And the hurt that's caused, that caused people to leave the church, I mean, the Lord knows their, their heart. They know the pain that they experienced. And um, ultimately, we don't, we don't follow Theodore McCarrick or any other cardinal. We follow Jesus. Right. Yep. You know? And uh, we can always follow Jesus no matter who's doing what. Right. That's his promise to us. And it's present in the Eucharist. He's going to be with us till the end of time. Right. Through the terrible stuff that we're going to see in the church. Yep. Yep. And he has been all throughout history, you know. And, you know, honestly, like, as we kind of bring this whole discussion to a close, it's kind of been a, a, a heavy show, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I love reading the the beginning of, of the algebra problem. I love mm. reading the Old Testament because... It reminds me of God's faithfulness during real dysfunction of humanity, real calamity, <laughs> natural yeah. disasters, but like human failure, like massive human failure, and yet God was faithful and present over and over and over again. And the Old Testament gives me the front end of the problem that I need to understand because that same faithfulness is what brought Jesus here on this earth to prove God's love for us. And that same faithfulness is what gives us the sacraments, what gives us God's presence today, what gives us the, the, the nourishment, the things that we need to live our life for Christ. And I think that's important for us to remember that Jesus wants to live in us, be a part of our lives, and walk with us every day. And he wants to teach us a new way of living, living life. And we don't have to be satisfied with the old ways of doing things, the dysfunctional ways of doing things, the old patterns of behavior or sin, we can change. We can start over. We can repent. We can start anew. We can learn a new way. And we can do that by surrendering, by by having people in our lives that can help us walk walk along, and, and by completely just giving our life to Christ. And the best way to meet those people is to follow Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah. Because that's where we see others who are serious. Yep. You know, like... Those that take him seriously have faith in the Eucharist. You know? Like if they've heard these words yeah. and they say, okay, I don't really understand, but here I am. Like when they're St. Peter before Jesus, those are the brothers and sisters we need to cling to. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, man. Here Christians are. journeying with each other, helping each other along. We are community and uh, we just need to help each other follow Jesus. Sounds like a good bumper sticker. We are community. <laughs> I like <laughs> it. Sounds kind of cheesy. Oh. It does. Yeah. But I could rap for everyone. That would make it less cheesy. Yeah. Could you fit a whole rap on a bumper sticker? You could. <laughs> you could. On the back of your minivan, uh, or uh, your big 12-passenger <laughs> van. That's true. You could fit a big bumper sticker. I could. Yeah. A whole rap lyric. The whole the whole song right there on the Conk Mobile. So anyway, it's Paul George, Adam Conk. You're living. It's been a great show. You can get the show on podcasts if you didn't listen to it on the air on paulgeorge.la. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, all sorts of cool things out there. So anyway, God bless you guys. We'll be back next week.